Hey guys, Buddy here with W Hunting Supply. I wanted to give a quick little intro here. We normally don't do commercials or anything on this podcast, but um, we wanted to let you guys know about a giveaway we're doing July 5th through July 18th. If you can give us a review on our podcast, Apple, I don't know where else you give reviews, but find that place that you give a review on the podcast, borrow a phone, whatever, and send us a screenshot of that review so that we can enter you in for a chance to win a sweatshirt. The cool thing about the sweatshirt is, is if you don't know, we're already doing a, a larger giveaway. We're going to give away a hunt, a lynx hunt or a bear hunt by buying any kind of t-shirt item, any kind of sweatshirt item, or any kind of hat item on dusupply.com. If you buy every single apparel item, enters you in for one chance to win a lynx hunt in Canada, BC, or uh, you, if you choose to select the bear hunt in Canada, you can bring your own dogs, or you don't need to have your dogs. You can, you can come without dogs. Um, and, and so that's one thing that's going on W Hunts by the podcast giveaway, the sweatshirt item, will definitely enter you in for a chance on the hunt as well. So if you win the podcast giveaway and you win this cool sweatshirt we're going to give away, you're uh, you're automatically entered in for the uh, big giveaway. So good luck. If you choose that Lynx hunt, I normally go in November. You're welcome to go with me. Um, and that'll be sometime in November as long as the Canadian border opens up. If the Canadian border does not open up, we're just going to push that out a year. So you're still going to win the hunt, but we just got to wait for that border to open up. If it doesn't open up in time, we'll just do it next year. All right, guys. Hope you're enjoying this podcast. We'll get back to it. Thanks so much for agreeing to come on. I was I was super super excited that you got back to me and uh, and agreed to come on the podcast because you've got some. Um, you know, I'm I'm an avid reader. I read a lot, but there's not. It's not often that I get sucked in uh, to the degree that I got sucked into um, the Ryland Creek saga. That was that was. Those are just fun to read. They're they're just great books. Well, I'm glad. Glad you like him, and it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, that's a, that's excellent. Well, tell us. Um, I guess let's just hop right into it. Eh? Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. You're a, a a native New Yorker. Yes. Okay. So yeah, I was uh, born in upstate New York, uh, not far from uh, Painted Post. Actually, Montour Falls was mm-hmm. where the hospital is. I, I think a little bit of a joke there because uh, that same hospital is now an old folks home. So I figured I could, you know, I was born there and I can go there to die now. <laughs> but, but yeah, my, uh, my father was a, uh, well, he's originally was a part of the department of environment and conservation as a conservation officer, but then he would get promoted to become a New York state forest ranger. And, uh, he'd been running dogs since he was 14 years old. Now he's 83 now. And, uh, and yeah. so a lot of experience. Uh, so we were, Growing up, uh, we were always, always out in the woods. You're either, uh, we had, we had both coon dog field trial as well as coon hound. And, uh, you were always in the woods three to four times a week, uh, training those dogs and at day and night. And, uh, that was, uh, it was really a special childhood. And, yeah. uh, I, 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 when you tell people about upstate New York, uh, you know, the first impression they always get is New York City. And, uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to admit something here on <laughs> public radio here. I've never been to New York city. Uh, it's 300 miles away. And yep. uh, all I've ever known is, is woods and farmlands. And, uh, and so it really is it's still pretty rustic out here yep. and, uh, plenty of places to run your, run your hounds out here. So yeah, I've been actually in, uh, my mother will tell you 
that uh, my first coon hunt, I was actually inside her. Now, I don't remember that hunt. I got to be honest. <laughs> but but, uh, but mom's pretty honest. Never known her to lie. So, uh, you know, there it was. So I was actually uh, in the womb when I went on my first coon hunt. But That's uh, excellent. But, yeah, there's many, many uh, uh, nights spent with dad. And I could tell people, uh, you know, when everybody else was at the, the dance of the football game, I was uh, out there with dad running with the hounds. And I think actually in, in the long run, maybe I didn't know it then as a teenager, but I think actually I made out, I was better for it, to be honest with you. You learn a lot of lessons out in the woods, uh, yeah. just being with your dogs. I mean, listen to the other older hunters, too. I mean, listen to what they were saying and mm-hmm. talk about the dogs every time, every time you go out in the woods. class. I tell people, the classroom is in session. You're you're back in there. You're learning what your hound is doing. You're And, and I tell people it's uh, really... The, the definition of success when you're going out in the woods is that you and your dog come out of that woods, you know, hopefully safe and sound, but, but better than when you went in yep. each and every time. So I, yep. so I, I've always enjoyed it. I've been doing it. I'm, I'm 57 now and been doing it all my life. Uh, but uh, always something different happens. There's never, never two hunts are ever the same. That's the truth, isn't it? It's uh, it's, it's hard to it's hard to have a real big ego running hounds is, or or doing any kind of working dog you know working with dogs in general I, I was a dog musher for about twenty five years and and uh, oh, I, 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 boy yeah, that's exactly right I never I never uh, came you, back you get humbled yeah I never came back feeling uh, feeling like I'd got it all you know I've got this down now. <laughs> No, I, I, I absolutely agree with that. It's it's something that uh, uh, you go out there and like you say, humbled. I mean, oh, I can just give you some embarrassing things that just happened a couple of years ago. And it's like, oh, just rookie mistakes are going, <laughs> how can I do that? Right. But, uh, you know, but you, you, uh, you learn and relearn, I guess, a, a lot of times, too, when you're out there. Yeah, I guess I guess so. I'm 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 about at that spot too, where I'm starting to relearn the same lessons that I learned 25 years ago. It's like, oh wow, I I, I kind of thought I had that one down at least. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, were you uh, you had a um, you had a long career in the military? Were you running? I did. Did you have hounds during that stint in d- during that time when you were working uh, in the Air Force in the Department of Defense? That's a great uh, question. Uh, I got to spend some time uh, in New York when I was stationed in New York. And so, yeah, but what I did is I came back home on leave. And that's when I got to go ahead and run the the hounds again. It was awful hard to actually take a hound with you anywhere. But I was either in Ohio, stationed in Ohio several times, stationed in New York. So I was back every year, every season. I don't think I missed a single season. Uh, Mm -hmm. Well, maybe one season down in when I was down in Texas but not anything that I think I flew back <laughs> but but, uh, uh, but yeah it was uh, we would always go out and uh, and uh, even during the military I would just sneak in there and, uh, again I was also uh, the 30 years almost 30 years over 20 of it was in uniform and I also did some civil service and contracting and that was right here from uh, painted post I would actually fly down to Atlanta every week and then I'd come back on the weekends and hunt during the weekends oh, wow. so that was uh, a lot a lot of fun that way well yeah you, you had squirrel dogs then too and everything else I mean uh, so we were you know always messing with a hound one way or the other either a coon hound or a squirrel hound sure 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 what uh, what kind of dogs uh, what's what's near and dear to your heart 
Well, I see, and that's, that's something uh, we talk about a lot too. We've run them all. I mean, as far as coon hounds go, red ticks, blue ticks, walkers, English, uh, plots, curs. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you name them, we've had them. In fact, uh, the uh, dog I have right now is, uh, I got to back up your little explainer. I do have a hound named Seth. And, I picked uh, up on that. Uh, Seth is, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And for the record, the character Seth in, in the Ryland Creek saga was written before the real Seth was born. Is that uh, right? So, and yeah, and you know, at least for the first book. And uh, uh, when the first book was going into publication, in fact, the first Seth, as it was written originally, was actually a Walker Coonhound. It was actually a Walker. Mm. But my mother, my mother, never always listen to your mother. Uh, <laughs> my mother said, these pups were just born and I don't think Seth was, I don't think he was three or four weeks old yet. And my mother turned to me and said, you've got to make the Seth in the book a black cur instead of a walker. And, you know, of course, with, you know, with uh, Microsoft Word, it's pretty easy to do a search and replace, right? Sure. And so I did. And, and I'm actually very happy I did that because, uh, you know, he's, he's been on the covers and everything else. He's very, <laughs> he's pretty photogenic. Yeah. And uh, uh, he's been a lot of fun. And what's really strange, though, is that in all the important ways, that dog has become the character, Seth, and just uncanny. And even my dad, when we first had him out, we have, he, my dad says, we haven't had a pup like that in 10 years. And then he says, a couple months later, we haven't had a pup like that in 20 years. And then, then he, <laughs> <laughs> he says, we've never had a pup like that. Yeah, so he's, uh, he's just done some things that I just sit there and shake my head. And uh, through his mother, his mother was a blue tick. His father was a black and tan. He comes out of black cur, right? Mm. But uh, his, through his mother, he's actually part of the Cameron Hounds. And uh, they are known for, uh, particularly for a couple of things, I mean, just outstanding hunters, but they're also known for their intelligence and they're also known no fear. And that is just this dog. He's just, he's just who he is. So he's been a lot of fun to hunt. Uh, He does, he'll do some just uncanny things. And uh, well, I'll I'll tell you one story. Uh, When he was still just a pup, I don't think he was much over a year old. His mother, uh, they struck two coons. And mm-hmm. a lot of times raccoon run in, run in pairs. People don't understand that. But you have, a lot of times you see game cameras, you'll see the, the raccoon running in pairs. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's the same pair every night. It's just, it's, just, it's just they happen to run in pairs. Well, he struck one and he was running it. And his mother just couldn't work this track. She kept going in circles, couldn't get it, couldn't work it out. He goes back to her and then he, he trees the coon with her. And then they go back and treat the second coon. <laughs> so, yeah, but he had, he wow. says, oh, mom's in trouble. I need to go help her. And so he did. And I'm just, I couldn't believe it. I'm going, and, and at that point, uh, he hadn't even seen, well, like you said, we, we, me and dad say he hadn't even seen a raccoon yet. Uh, well, he might've seen in the woods that we just don't know about it, but, you know, but as far as, you know, actually having shot out a raccoon to him, that hadn't occurred yet. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was just a natural, just a natural tree hound, just a lot of fun. Sure. So, but that's, that's really but that's, that's really um, interesting. <clears throat> so he he ended up being kind of the uh, the dog that morphed into the character. But some of the, you've you've got a you've got some other really interesting dog characters in these books as well. You know, Monk and Judge and dogs like that. Did were they based yeah. off of another? Were they based off of dogs that you had had in the past? 
Yeah, when you say uh, buck and tie, in, uh, which are in both uh, book one and book two, mm-hmm. uh, they they did exist. There is a buck and there is a tie. Now, they were not in the, in the books, in the series, they were litter mates. But in, uh, in reality, uh, Ty was actually a littermate to Buck's mother. So I guess yeah, some people would call that an uncle. I don't know if it's the right yep, term sure. for dogman called but, but, <laughs> but, but sounds right. But, to me. Uh, so, so they were, yeah, they were separated by a, a generation. They did hunt with each other uh, and things like that. But uh, and Buck's getting, uh, Buck's getting old. He's up there now. In fact, uh, you, you'll like this story just this season. You know, I'm 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 one and done. We tree one, and then we go home. And uh, if we tree any more than one, we just look at him. But uh, and Buck has known that now. He's he just knows that how we hunt. And mm-hmm. so we the very first very first uh, coon we treed last season. Uh, he treed it, and I you know, seen it right off the bat. And so I I took that one, and then he just walks over to another tree. This is Buck now. He walks over to another tree, and all he does is he puts his paw on a tree and looks up. Mm-hmm. And I look up there, and there's another raccoon staring down at me. And I said, "Hey, Buck, why don't we just let that one go for the night? We'll treat him another night." And he just like, "Okay," just walked off the tree and walked with me. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, it's just uh, you do uh, have all these one-on-one relationship mm-hmm. with your hound. I think one of the things you, we got to give where the red fern grows and Wilson Rawls when he wrote that oh, sure. that you definitely get a feel for. Billy and the relationship he had between old dad and little Ann. Yeah, that you just he, he nailed it. I mean, he just nailed it, and uh, and that is true. That's that. I guess that's one of the reasons why I began writing the series in the first place is because, well, again, you can't take anything away from where the red fern grows, but what you get is is that this relationships they're real. They're one on one relationships. They're like a one on one relationship with a with a uh, person and you you create that bond uh, oh, going back to the real set i mean the real set i've never had a dog more protective he protects me and uh and he's never been mean but if another dog comes up to me he will push him away yep. he will not let them in within my space he's weird that way i mean and then when i sit down at the table uh he backs up against me he backs up. He's he's guarding me. He he'll hit his his haunch his rear haunch against my leg or something like that, huh. and he'll just he guards. He just guards me. So I said, well, whatever. Great to have a dog like that. How about <laughs> yeah. that? Wow. So he has, yeah. He's done some uh, some amazing things. Uh, even as and uh, one of the things I like to, to say, my dad recognized right off the bat that he was different. Uh, hmm. One of the things that uh, when the other pups would go out of the kennel. He would, uh, uh, you know, hear the other pups. They five. He had uh, there were six in the litter, and uh, the five pups would be milled together about ten yards. First time we let them out of the kennel, they, were, you know, uh, about you know just a couple weeks old, uh, maybe four or five weeks old, and uh, they're ten yards in the kennel. Well, Seth is twenty yards in the kennel, and so then uh, by himself. And then the, so next time you let them out, those pups are twenty yards in the kennel. He's 40, 50 yards from the kennel. And he was always like that. And dad just watched him. He dad would just watch him. He says, that one's different. And he was, and he is. Uh, so, uh, yeah, just after a while, you just, you kind of also pick up an eye of, you know, hey, this one's going to be special. And so you, you do definitely uh, enjoy that with each right. one of your hounds. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the fact that they're individuals definitely makes them, definitely makes them, makes it worth doing to me. You know, if I was going out, 
you know, otherwise I think I would have, uh, you know, gotten into snowmobiles or ATVs or something like that. You know, I was, would have been, uh, I, I like the challenge exactly. of uh, dealing with the individuals and, and, and that relationship is just, I mean, it's such a rewarding one. It's been, you know, immortalized in, in books before, but I really, uh, I really appreciated, um, there, there was a, what, what I appreciated about it, honestly, was that you, you, you managed to create a, a relationship that to me reflected some, you know, even though in, in a lot of the cases they were showing up as, you know, flashes from the past or ghosts in the mist, there was still an aspect of reality to it. You know, it was not, yeah, you weren't anthropomorphizing, the dogs were not, they didn't possess, you know, they, they weren't, they weren't freaks. They, these were right. real working dogs doing things that you could recognize anybody who's worked with a dog before could recognize as a, as, as something an exceptional dog could possibly do. And it, it was just, um, I really appreciated that, you know, the, the, not just the character development in the books, but also the, the relationships that you were able to, um, to to create and and develop throughout the books both uh, both you know between human and dog and human and human i really the human and human uh relationships were were i appreciate the, the, those those were a lot of fun to follow as well that's interesting you say that because uh now i'm not gonna tell you this conversation i had with this one individual was the reason i wrote the books that, mm. that he didn't prompt it but i will tell you that it was people like him that prompted it and he, he's sitting there and he, he tells me, uh, I went coon hunting once. He, that's what he's telling me. I said, yeah. He says, the dog does all the work. And I'm just, I'm just, I know, I, I know the look on my face was like, you just, you're right. You've been coon hunting once. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, when I look, I, I heard him say that. I was just like, yeah, you don't realize the hundreds, the thousands of hours of training that hound to be able to perform. And what it means to you know, and so what it means to the hunter, what it means that uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Ernie Stevens, he's a president of a, a local uh, houndsman club up here in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did a video for the New York Houndsman uh, Association not too long ago, about a year ago now. And he nailed it when he was doing his part of that video. And he said, "There, you just can't describe the feeling when your dog trees." his or her first raccoon for the first time. I mean, yeah, I, you know, I'm trying, right. I'm trying, I'm trying to write the books about it, but, but there is something there that you, uh, you just, it's just that just euphoria. Yep. Uh, they said that my dog did that. I mean, he, you know, I'm not taking anything away from the dog is the dog's natural talents, dog's natural ability, but you know that you had a huge part in making that happen. Oh, absolutely. And so that's where, you know, I mean, you just, it just, it's like your kid, you're watching your kid win a, a sports match or something like that. You're just like, wow. And they did it and they do it. And you also watch them learn. You watch them fail. I mean, they, and so that's what they're part of it. Oop, they started, you know, they, like dad said, they overload themselves and they take a track they couldn't wheel. Mm -hmm. uh, but they learn as they get older. They say, okay, you know, or they, you know, ran it into a hole, you know, rack raccoon will go into a hole every now and then. Mm -hmm. uh, so they say, okay, they're learning. And, and I think too, what the hunter learns is they learn the different marks uh, that are mm -hmm. out there. You know, is it a tree bark? Is it an open bark? Is it something else? Is it a face bark? I mean, are they actually facing something that they're praying? 
that they're, or they're chasing, they're chasing. And uh, so just different things you hear. Like for one instance, uh, going back to Seth again, just as a recent example, I know he, he does not allow a coyote to be in the area when he's hunting. He just won't allow it. And I'll know when he's running them off. You know, he'll run them, he doesn't run them very far, and he's three to 400 yards. And then once he's, he's convinced they're gone, then it goes back and trees a raccoon. And so <laughs> that's fine. But I know that's him. And I don't blame him. I know it's in his blood. Uh, and every now and then he'll mess with a bobcat. And again, that's in his blood. He comes from a famous line of mountain lion and bear dog. So that doesn't bother me. Yep. But, uh, you know, I, I prefer he stayed on raccoon. But at the same time, you know, he's going to every now and then he's going to do a little quirky thing. Yep. But you can hear it. There's a difference, difference in the voice. And uh, in fact, like I said, what I, the way I describe it when he's when he's chasing off one of those coyotes is rage. I mean, you could hear it. It's like, get out of my territory. Right. <laughs> and again, he comes right back. <laughs> and once they're gone, he, he goes, okay, let's go back to, he goes, okay, dad, we're, we're back to raccoon now. So, okay, go ahead, do it. I know what he's doing. So once, you know, once you understand what they're doing, uh, you, you yourself, uh, and I, I'm not a competition hunter. Uh, I don't go into the night hunts any, we used to do the field trial when I was growing up, we big time into every weekend you were at a, uh, during, well, during the summer and spring, mm-hmm. you were at a coon dog field trial. But, uh, but really it was when you get out in the woods with your coon hounds and get out there and, uh, and just be out there in the wild and, uh, listen to them. And again, always watching them learn, watching them get better, watching them handle. They got to handle. If you got a dog that doesn't have a reverse, <laughs> that's a problem. Dad used to say, yeah, he says, uh, so when you're when you're hunting with a dog and he's not hunting with you, that's bad. <laughs> and you have a couple of those. Oh, you have sure. a couple of those. They, you know, it's like okay, we're you know, and uh, and I so one of the things too. Uh, one of the things I I did in the military was an analyst, and uh, you say you know always always the hunter is being taught too. And I would this is before the. Uh, I was back on leave one time, and this was before the GPS units were out, mm-hmm. and uh, just just a couple of years before, not too long. And I came back on leave, and we went up to a place where we were. We let the dogs out, and after about thirty minutes, we couldn't hear them. And so my dad would do something that I had never been able to figure out. He got into that truck, he drives around the mountain you know, doing 30, 40 miles an hour on a dirt road, you can't hear anything while the truck is going. Mm-hmm. He'd stop that truck, roll down the window, and that dog would be retreated within 100 yards of where we were. Oh, wow. And so finally I said, I, and I finally, I said, Dad, I've been watching you do that for over 20 years. I said, how do you do that? And he just sat there and, he, okay, class is in session again, right? Mm. He said, son, <laughs> you're some analyst, right? He says, that's a pattern. I know the dog. I know how the raccoon run. I know this mountain. And if I know that I haven't heard that dog in within so amount of time that he is outside my hearing range and odds are he's hit this track on this trail and he's run this thing. He just did it. Dad did it so many times that I'm sitting there going. And finally, yeah, well, some analyst, he saw the pattern. Right. He realized he knew the dog. He knew the territory. And he knew how the raccoon ran. And so that's, I'm just sitting there going, you know, and you're, you're, you're talking about being humbled, right? Well, there it was. I was, right. you know, I'll have a little bit of uh, ice cream with my humble pie. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's a real, that's a real okay. houndsman right there, man. Holy cow. That's, a, that's some, oh, yeah. Well, you, yeah. 
Yeah, well, he, like I say, as, a, as part of the as a forest ranger, obviously he knew the the, the you know the state game lands like the back sure. of his hand as well. Sure, that sure, helps. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, and and you got to understand. You they say you know you know your dog, you know your voice, you know his voice. I should be able to hear him. I can't hear him. That means this. And I've been here before. And he told me too. He said, "Son, I've treed raccoon in the same tree, not the same raccoon, uh, right. but I've treed you know the same tree year after year after year." And uh, just because raccoon from one generation to the next will, you know, they have that behavior ingrained in them and they're going to run the way they do. Now, things change when I say things change. Sometimes a wood gets timbered sometimes. Oh, last year in upstate New York, we had a horrible, at least in my area, and I hear it's actually pretty widespread. We had a horrible acorn crop. Just absolutely really? terrible. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, terrible. And uh, so what happens is the raccoon naturally go to the the coniferous or the pine trees to go to the hemlocks because that's where the feed is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that's where they run so you you have to adjust your strategy uh knowing the raccoon not not necessarily knowing the rat and where i get i guess a little upset sometimes with um some coon hunters is that they'll start blaming their dogs yeah when they took it where the raccoon aren't and so wait a minute don't blame the hounds that's that wasn't your fault or <laughs> what well, i shouldn't say that wasn't the dog's fault it was your fault you should have known not to be in that forest or at that time of day or that time or the winter weather sure whatever it happened to be mm-hmm. so that's all that's all part of it it is all part of it you know it's it's uh it's there there's so what one of the things i've appreciated about working with dogs all these years is, is uh there's infinite room for personal growth yep. well, and good. it well, is good. amazing to me how often people that i talk to and i'm i've i have been guilty of this myself at, at times where they will rather than rather than take one you know take one on the arm admit that they have messed up admit that they weren't on their a game it's so much easier to blame your dog yep and um you know, you start blaming your dog and it just kind of shuts the door to any kind of constructive, uh, you know, uh, c- constructive breakdown of what could have you, what, what did you, what could have you done better? You know? Exactly. Well, here's a, here's another one too. Dad always said, especially in uh, upstate New York, because uh, what happens in, in March when the raccoons start coming out of their dens, well, you have to realize that usually in a den, there's anywhere between two to four to six raccoon. Hmm. And uh, you know, let's say the you know the the one that's got the bottom bunk, you know, <laughs> <laughs> kind of stinky after a while. And uh, what happens is he says he says you know you've got a coonhound in March if you're not treating a blank. And what he means by that is, is you know that stinky raccoon goes up and he comes down the tree, but there's so much scent on that tree that the dog can't determine that 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 raccoon has moved on. I mean, right. uh, it just so. Yeah. So, but then what do you have? You have people blaming the dog and it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You got to understand that you got a little bit of a circumstance here. Yes. Yes. Some, you know, coonhounds figured it out, but when there's that much scent, I mean, I've been underneath the tree and you can smell the raccoon. You can smell it. Yourself, I was telling yeah. you about Ty. <laughs> oh yeah. He's like, you're, oh, you're, you're like, whoa. And I, I talk about dog and personalities. I was telling you about, there was a real tie. Yeah. And uh, he was treed one time on this huge oak. And I got underneath it, and it, you know he did have the raccoon. The raccoon was up there, and I can't tell you for I can't remember if it was March or not. But I, what I do remember 
was, boy, did that raccoon stink. I mean, I could smell it. And I looked down at Ty and I said, Ty, I could have treed that one. And he just snorted at me and walked around the other side of the tree. (laughs) 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 I had to laugh when some people say, you know, I I read somewhere that actually a dog has got like a a 200 word vocabulary and that he actually understands what you're saying. And, uh, and I don't, you know, I don't know how they figure that kind of stuff out, but but uh, he definitely he acted like he took offense to that. I said that, but uh, <laughs> but you know, like I say, just like I said, just so many different um, experiences you have with him. Oh, by the way, and Ty was he was he was like the, always the grumpy old man. Even when he was young, he was like the grumpy old man. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it didn't didn't really surprise me when he did that. He's like, ah, just okay. But you know, he didn't hold it against me. We wouldn't treat off another raccoon. That's too funny. Other things I say, we try and understand what's in that dog's head. So we just talked about the vocabulary, but I remember we'd have a dog get sprayed by skunk, which is not ideal. And then 20 minutes later, tree a a raccoon. And you and I are thinking, how can that dog smell anything but the skunk that's on them? But we don't understand that. We understand, listen, they can, they can do things and they can compartmentalize smells in ways we will never understand. I mean, I mean, all I can smell is, is a skunk, and but here's a dog who is able to tree. I mean, still stinking the high heaven, obviously, just 20 minutes later, and trees a raccoon. And they go, how can they do that? But again, this is part of the lessons learned when you're out there. Is that yeah, you got to understand, you know, or really appreciate what this hound's abilities are. And it's just simply amazing to me what what they can do. It, yeah, it is. I mean, I think, I think that's what, uh, to a very large degree, I don't know, I think, at least for me anyway, that's, that's what's kept me in working dogs for as long as I've been in working dogs. I've only been in hounds for the last three or four years, but it is just this sort of sense of awe that I can't believe these dogs are able to do this. You know, something you said earlier too about the the saga, and I I should let you know that uh, I've, some of my best reviews have come from people who are avowed non and even anti hunters. Mm. And I think what's coming through or you like to like think what's coming through is that they're really starting to understand it's a lifestyle. This is not a recreation. It is not something done on a whim. It's something you pour your heart and soul into right. in, in getting those dogs to perform. And, uh, and it takes a lot of patience too, by the way. And, and if, and you know, I tell you what, if you come out of the woods and you learn patience that night, that was a pretty good lesson. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh man. I, uh, yeah, so you, yeah, that's, that's, that's the truth. I say that all the time, but I am, uh, I don't have a lot of strengths as a dog trainer, but the only thing that I've learned uh, that I, I feel like I can sort of say that I've got that part as as down as i'm ever going to have anything is the ability to be patient well, it's just that, taking that's the time a huge huge lesson learned oh man i i am a weak dog trainer but i'll stay out there until uh until we figured it out together and uh, wow. i think that's well, the I, I, sus- I submit i submit you're going to get better and better and better uh as you go through it if you've been doing you've been working with the hounds for say for just the last three or four years mm. uh you're gonna find it but you know what so here i've been doing it really uh for almost 50 years and i still learn i'm still learning i mean you go out there and you say okay you know and it, and it could be i learned something about the truck or it could be i learned something about my equipment mm-hmm. you know especially with the gps unit you know i'm looking oh there's a feature i didn't know i had <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know there's just, there's just 
just different things that you, you know, like I can't even hook up to a Zoom meeting on, you know, but, uh, but in terms of the equipment. Now, that said, you get into some really interesting conversations with the old timies about the today's modern technology and modern hunters. And uh, that was actually expressed in, in one of the books. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, are we losing something by the technology? Now, I would tell you, I would not go out in the woods without a tracking collar today. Nope. But I will also tell you, I was the same, same kid with a two cell flashlight and no tracking collar. I was, the only tracking you had was your ears. And uh, so you, and, and you're, you're, of course, I had my dad who would help me figure out what was going on with the dogs. But yep. at the same time, uh, are we losing something uh, if you're always on this technology? Certainly, you know, you can't, the GPS is not going to tell you how the raccoon are going to run. The GPS might show you what the terrain looks like, but do you understand how that terrain affects how the raccoon are going to run or how you're sure. going to be able to hear the dog? Yeah. So that's where you, you begin to get an appreciation or I get appreciation for what the old time, well, I am an old timey, but what the old timeies before me sure. uh, begin to say is, yeah, maybe we're losing something here. Maybe uh, we need to take a step back. You know, again, I would never say go out in the woods without a tracking collar. I, I'm very much for it because it does give you a certain sense of control, knowing where the dogs are, and obviously a, a peace of mind, knowing that okay, I know where my dog is. He's not mm-hmm. near, near any, any kind of danger or anything like that. But it's just different things. I mean, that, that are we losing something along Absolutely. the way? Absolutely. I, you know, we. I think that. We had the same discussion and, um, you know, yeah, I, it, just technology in general, but I, I, I would agree that I, I do think we are losing something, you know, um, in the sense that, you know, especially in the sense that you, you, you listen to your dogs, you know, now I, I, it took me about a month to figure out, this is how good I am with technology. It took me about a month to figure out how to turn off the, uh, the bark and the tree indicator on the GPS. <laughs> right, right. Because... I didn't want, I, I don't need that. I can, I can hear him barking and I would prefer to have the fewer things that are vibrating and beeping, taking my focus off the dog. You know, I, I would prefer to have my focus on the dog. And I, it's, it's fascinating to me to, to see some of the guys that I've, I've hunted with where they will drop their dog. And that is the last they'll look up, you know, opening the, shutting the kennel door is the last they'll look up from that GPS until mm-hmm. that Fox is dead. Yep. And it's, yeah. um, you know, cause we do, we do a lot of fox hunting over here. We don't have the raccoons or the, or the bears or anything like that. So, um, and that just seems to be such a shame to me. I mean, you're, it, it seems like, you know, not, not only in a dog training sense, you know, they always know where their dogs are. They've got good control of their animals, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's not the issue necessarily, but it's a little bit of the lifestyle, you know, what's the point of being out in the woods if you don't even look up. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've seen people where the the, the uh, hounds are literally just a couple hundred yards away. And listen, if you can hear, dog has got is 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 as good a smell as there's better than ours. Their hearing is it's the same difference. There, they can hear you. Mm-hmm. And so I always tell people, always do the voice command first. Always don't rely on the 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 beep on the the tracking collar to return the dog. If they can hear you, go with that. I very rarely. Uh, have to hook up a dog on a leash in the woods anymore because I've, and I, I tell dad, I've turned them into old man dogs, right? but they, but they hunt, they've learned to hunt close and they follow me out on the mm-hmm. f- first night. <laughs> you'll love this story. I mean, always something different. Right? Uh, on the first night of the 2018 season, I broke my ankle. 
Boy. And, uh, and I was, I was back in about 900 yards from the truck. Cause I knew where dad was. Dad was in the truck. He, he would, he couldn't walk out in the woods anymore. He's about 80 years old then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, but he, he said, I noticed you was getting, you walking back kind of slow. <laughs> <laughs> now we had already taken a raccoon. I had already taken a raccoon, but the, no, I had both, uh, actually it was Seth and Buck and, uh, and they were ready to go on. They, they had struck a third coon. Uh, the first coon was up a great big white pine. I said, nah, let that one go. Second one was up an oak. I got that one. But on the way out, I just, and it wasn't nothing. It's not like the dogs pulled me off. Like they were on a leash or anything and they pulled me off in the wrong way. I just stepped and I just broke the, my ankle. And I was like, okay. And, uh, you know, I, I tell dad it popped out of socket about 80 times on the way, oh, <laughs> on the way brutal. back to the truck. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, yeah. It's like, and it's, and I, I went through, you know, did I really break this thing? I said, no, I really broke this thing. I would not admit it till four months later, but that's, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> don't do that. Go uh, to the hospital, get it taken care of. Don't do that. But, um, we know, initially but, bonded over the whole, uh, the brotherhood of the walking stick. So, um, I, <laughs> I, I have, I have done that. I've, uh, you know, I'm, I'm only I'm only 35, but I, I need a walking stick when I'm out there now. Cause between, between some, yeah, all the injuries, it's, uh, it's, it's like I said to you, it's, uh, it's, it's not the, it's not the make and model. It's the, uh, right. it's the mileage. <laughs> it's, it's the mileage. Yeah. yeah, you're exactly right. And and that's a good point. You know, that if I, I you know, really, if I had not had that walking stick, I'd probably still be crawling out two years later. Right. But, <laughs> but it was that walking stick that uh that actually got me through it and uh and i'll tell you another time uh and again ironically that again this is with seth and well actually hattie too so it was hattie and seth together and uh, we could hear them from the truck they were i could the gps said they were 700 yards but i could hear them and dad said to me he said listen he says uh there's a swamp there and i knew it was there but he said be careful that thing can get deep I said, okay, well, all right. And, he, and we figured, right, and we were right that you know, by listening how far they were and knowing how far they were, that they were on the other side of that swamp. I said, okay. So I'm, I'm out there. It's December. And I get out there with that walking stick and I, I get, I come to the swamp and there's no water. Oh, this is great. You know, okay. But <laughs> a little bit drier than I thought. But I get out into the middle of that swamp and there's a stream that's 18 inches wide. Yep. And it looks to be about two inches deep. And something told me, don't step in it. And I don't know what it was, but something told me, don't step in it. And I don't know why. Because it looked, you know, to your light, it looked like it was only two inches deep. Right. So I took that walking stick. <laughs> I took that walking stick and I drove it all the way down to the handle. I oh said, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. And then I, then, I, then I switched hands with the right hand. I couldn't find the bottom. There was no bottom. And uh, I said, one that's this is again why you want to carry a walking stick right i mean just you know talking about equipment right you're talking about the hounds but this is this is all part of it and i think and i got even got to thinking you know these little kids that want to go with me sometimes i said you know kids they're going to want to jump in the water thinking it's only two inches deep and i'd have looked back i'd have stepped over it looked back and said where'd the kid go (laughs) but uh what that was what i i looked that up i said i have to look up what this is and what i think here's my theory is what it is is that was an old bog and the bog fills in over top of basically an underground yep. lake. Oh, sure. Yep. Uh, and I'm going, I was, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. But if I had not had that walking stick, 
you know, or just thought, you know, looking at it because they had like a false bottom. It, it had silt that looked like it was only two inches deep. But with that walking wow. stick, you know, you're just like, oh, man, did that save my keister that night? And Absolutely. Uh, uh, I, was, I was like, well, so that's where, again, you you learn, you know, oh, it's just a walking stick. No, it's not just a walking stick. <laughs> you know, it takes you out of the woods when you got a broken ankle and it makes sure you don't go, you know, you're at the bottom of some underground lake. So, right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a, just that little bit of insurance. You know, I had a, I had an, ex- I've talked a little bit about it on the podcast before, but I had an experience um, with my young, my young dog buzz um, where he tangled with a, a fox in a ditch that then, then ran down onto a frozen river or partially frozen river and started to mm. zigzagging back mm. and forth to lose the dog um, yeah. over the river and buzz went into the water, got Ooh. himself, got himself out, went about 200 more yards and then went through the ice completely. And, mm. you know, I ran down there and ended up walking out onto the ice, but I had this great big walking stick under one armpit so that if I went through, I was going to, you know, I, I, yeah, I, well, I was going to, the hole that I made, theoretically, the walking stick would be on each side of it, you know, um, yep, yep, yep. just a little bit of insurance. So it's, uh, yeah, so things like that, that, not a lot of people have anymore when they go out there. You know, I was, uh, I was out hunting with a guy a couple of months ago and it was cold, you know, and I had my, I had my pockets full of, you know, I had some fire starters in there and some matches and, you know, a knife and stuff like that. And he just rolled out of his car and pulled on a pair of mud boots and uh, his vape pen and you know walked off into the deep snow with a with his vape pen and i was thinking if mm. if something bad happens that guy is we're, we're gonna find a <laughs> strawberry scented corpse out there with that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right <laughs> You know, the, the uh the the woods can be unforgiving that way right oh boy uh, yeah yeah so you gotta well that's you know really too what you get down to is respect uh, you got to respect the land. Yeah. You got to respect, well, respect everything, respect the animal, respect the land. And once you do that, I think you're, you're going in ahead of the learning curve, as we say, uh, j- just that you're, you know, you, you minimize or I don't minimize is the exact right word, but at least you, uh, you get the odds better in your favor that you're going to come out of there and your hound safe and sound. Sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Never take anything for granted. Absolutely. And that, that was another thing I really enjoyed about your books was the, you know, without being, without sort of crossing over into the real, being real preachy about it. I, I, you talk a lot about respect for the land and, and being, you know, acknowledging the, the character of the land, not just as, you know, not just as a bunch of trees and dirt, but as, you know, the, each place has its own character. And I, I, I felt like you yeah. really were able to convey that in, uh, you know, writing about painted posts. And, and um, I, I enjoyed that, that aspect of it, the, the relationship. Uh, honestly, what yeah, I, I guess I keep going back to relationships. That was what I enjoyed about the book so much was the relationships in all, in every form, you know, even the, um, you know, one, one thing that it struck me while when I, after I was done reading the last book, um, was uh correct me if i'm wrong but you have some wonderful uh wonderful stories of love in there you don't have an entire you don't have a single sex scene in in the entire series no no and it, 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 it's yeah i'm glad you, you said that 
I did have one of my first book signings, a uh, gentleman who I have no idea who his name is, but he came up to me and says, you know, is there this in there? And he's looking at me and I said, you need to find another author uh, <laughs> because, because there's not that in there. I mean, but there are, yeah, there are relationships. And I have, I have one local writer, God bless her heart, but she accuses me of being a romance writer a couple of times. That makes me want to go out and hide in the woods for a while when she says it. But, but, uh, but yeah, I think what you have is, is that you, yeah, you do have relationships between fam, particularly family. It's, it's a family saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have relationships there and that's absolutely critical to it. I mean, I know personally that I would not be able to do what I do if I did not have a wife that supported me. I mean, mm-hmm. a spouse that supports me. Went out there. Oh, same here. And so, she, yeah, I mean, oh yeah. I mean, if, if she didn't do it, I don't know what I'd do to be honest with you. Uh, but she understands that, okay, yes, I'm going to, I'm going to spend some lonely nights while he's out there chasing after these hounds, but she respects that, you know, and she says, yeah, you know what, that's you, you got to go, you're going to do what you're going to do. And I think if you look at behind every hounds person, Mm-hmm. There is a spouse, whether it's a husband or wife, that if they don't hunt with them, that uh, actually supports them. So you, that was one of the key things. And I and I, I think going back to one of my uh, per, one of my avowed anti hunters who loved the books said, and this is how she put it. She goes, "It's not so much a book about coon hunting as it's about the people who go coon hunting." I said, "Well, yeah. okay." They're not saying that's not true because it's clearly a lot about cooning, but but uh, at the same time she's right. I can't take. I don't know if I said that. that's not wrong. Maybe I don't think it's complete, but it's not wrong to mm-hmm. say that. And so yeah, you you have to understand that there is. Uh, I think what you'll find too is that uh, the, the, those folks who run hounds. I, I don't care if it's a bird dog, fox hound, coon hound, squirrel hound. Uh, that they're very passionate people. That they are passionate about what they do, and they're and that reflects in other places of their life. Absolutely. And so that's what you kind of, that's what you try to get into the books that listen, these, these are living, breathing people. They're concerned about conservation just as much as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're concerned about the land just as much as anybody else. And what you said too, by the way, I've, uh, I'm doing a little genuflecting here. That's exactly what I was hoping for is you see the land is, is a continuing building character through the series. You, you get, definitely get hints of it in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And then you continue to wend it through to where it, it climaxes in books three and four was, yeah, this, hey, the land itself is a character and exactly right. So it, uh, uh, that's where yeah, you, you go for that. And I think that's where uh, every, you know, Painted Post is really everywhere, right? Painted Post is not just in upstate New York. It is, but, uh, but it's also, there's, everybody has a Painted Post and mm-hmm. that's where you're saying is, okay. They know their land. They know the territory. They have an appreciation for it. So insert your hometown name here, sort of when you're reading the book, and and that's really everywhere. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of history here in this part of upstate New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have there is one scene where there was a, an old motel out in the woods. That happened. I mean, that was, there was an old motel. Now, I'm not saying the exact same thing happened in the book as happened in real life. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that time, when I passed by, there were only three walls standing at that time. We watched our blue tick uh, Duke go through it. And again, classes in session. Dad says, yeah, there's probably a raccoon playing and living inside that hotel. And he's trying to find the smell. But it was interesting to watch a dog go through a hotel that probably hadn't seen a guest in I don't know, 80 years and watch him go through the different rooms to do that. And what I also remember that night, I think I was 12 years old when that, when that happened, I remember there was a sign out sign there and it said bridge out 1917. 
Oh, wow. the remnants of that bridge, yeah, the remnants of that bridge are still in that creek. You will still find the iron girders uh, falling from that, that structure down into the creek. So, uh, uh, you know, that's, but that's, let's see, the history here uh, uh, and just just an incredible amount of things. Uh, the book I'm working now is a prequel. Uh, so it's kind of interesting, uh, it, and it focuses. I, I think you said you liked Uncle Arthur. This is where it focuses. Oh on man, I'm so excited for this one. <laughs> <laughs> but he's well, he's he is something of a character, and he's uh, uh, oh, so to for... speak. Uh, no pun intended. Yeah, he's. Uh, but how did he become who he becomes? So what's interesting from a writer's perspective is you had all these hints of a backstory. And now those backstories become front story. And then you've got backstories now to the, the front stories of the, of the, in the prequel. Right. So that's been a lot of fun of explaining, you know, again, his experience with the bullwhip and, you know, how did he learn and how did he learn from the Seneca chief gray eyes? How did he learn, you know, the woods, you know, was he, was he a natural, was he a bumbling idiot? What was he? And right. so that's, you know, I'm not, I don't want to give, I don't want to give anything away from the, the story just yet. I did finish the draft of the manuscript and uh, I put it aside for 10 days just to get my, you know, to clear the memory banks. The, the climax was still fresh in my head. You got to get to clear the emotions out of there. <laughs> so mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. go back to it now and look with fresher eyes. But that's where, and, uh, you know, what's his relationship with his hounds, you know, when he was growing up. So that's where you, again, oh yeah, there's always going to be a coon out there. I guarantee you that. And, but, and this time we got a red bone. Yes, sir. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to, you know, that's, you know, I wanted to rotate through all the breeds. And uh, so sure enough, uh, we, we've got a red bone in here now. So, that's um, excellent. Uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You gotta, you gotta rotate through them all. So that's you where to rotate through them all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's only fair i tell people is i don't care what the dog looks like on the outside what can he or she do and that's that's all that really matters we've never been uh i mean i like i said we've owned them all i can't you know it'd be hard pressed to come up with a breed maybe i don't know if we had a, I, I, I think dad's gonna tell you we had a leopard cur at one time too i just can't remember mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. uh but we just about had them all and uh so that's where you you know you you, you just learn okay the, all these dogs have a natural ability. Can I bring it to the surface as a trainer and and do what I can do? And that's right. where you again we're we're back to the training aspect of it, which is just absolutely so critical of that. So that's mm. that's uh, that's the bond. That's it. Like I said, the bond of the land, the bond with each other, uh, and uh, obviously the bond with the hounds. It's it's yeah. got to be all there. To, to, I think to have a story that uh, truly reflects what we do as houndsmen out there so right um, and not i mean it not, not only reflects what we do as houndsmen but it's also very the books are very accessible even for people who you know ha have never seen a hound you know it, there's still there's something in there for everybody i think you know it, it it's it's got so much substance to it the sto the whole story has so much substance to it that whether you're from New York, have never hunted before, have never seen a hound, the, the books are still gonna, it's still, you're still gonna walk away with something. Well, you hit on something there too that, uh, that you know, people say, well, why did you set it in painted posts? Well, you can imagine 30 years in the military, every time you go to a new duty station, the first thing people ask you is where you're from, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and so, you tell them painted posts, they look at you and said, you're lying. I said, no, that really exists. I said, I said, it's small. And then you tell them it's upstate New York. 
uh, and they, well, where that, where's that near? I said, well, uh, it's near big flats and horse heads. And then they really lose it. They said, what? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so then that now in today's Google age, you know, people, I have literally had people Google me and I tell them about what the, you know, yes, it's, it's, it's a convergence of the Conhocton and the Tioga and they create the Shemong and they, they just absolutely look at you and said, you're, you're making all this up, aren't you? I said, no, I'm not. So that was another reason to set it in painted post. No, it's, this is real. It's really here. But again, they don't, uh, I, I mean, when I first went in the military, I'd tell people, yeah, painted post, we've got three pages in the phone book and dad was in there twice, you know, <laughs> once under, once under his name and then once under New York state forest stranger. So we, you know, we, it is small. It is rural. I'm looking outside right now and all I see is a hillside full of trees. I don't see any houses. Right. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's, but again, the, the first thing, uh, people have an impression of is New York City. And I understand that when you've got 90% of the people live in less than 10% of the land mass, that's sure. where the advertising comes from, I guess. But, but, uh, but the rest of us out here, you know, it's, it's, it's still very, very much rural. And so, and, uh, and I encourage people, you know, not, I'm not on any kind of tourism board here, but I, Hey, come on upstate New York. You know, it's, it's not, oh, it's, well, once, once, once the pandemic passes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Know, but, Stay uh, away until then. But uh, yeah. once, the, <laughs> yeah, once things settle down back to, to normal. Right. Uh, yeah. Come on up. Here. It's uh, it yeah, really I is, mean, upstate uh, New York is, place. Oh, it's gorgeous. It's a, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. place. I spent a little bit of time, a little bit of time there before I moved over here to Norway. I'm originally from, from Maine, um, from oh, West, okay. uh, Western Maine and uh, spent a little bit of time just sort of traveling through and checking out, exploring a little bit in upstate New York. It's, it's gorgeous up there. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, and, and exactly as you say, it's, uh, you, you think of New York and you think of the city and yep, exactly. it's, uh, there's so much more to New York than, than just the city. But um, speaking, yeah. one thing I wanted to touch a little bit on, because it was a theme throughout the, throughout the books, and it's something that I've been thinking about quite a bit recently, um, because I've, um, I've recently just uh, become part of the board of directors for, for uh, one of, a hunting club here. And my, my whole goal, my the whole, my whole responsibility area of responsibility is, is, is youth and youth hunts and things like that. And, um, you know, that got me kind of thinking because I live way out in the boonies here and I lived way out in the boonies in, in, in Maine. And one of the themes in your books is the, the negative effect that, that drugs have on rural communities. Yes. Yep. And, yep. you know, I grew up in Maine in the 80s and 90s, and Maine today is not the same place that it was. Yep. For that reason. Yeah, yeah for, for that exactly reason. that yeah, the, reason. Uh, you know, I remember when heroin rolled in, and then I remembered it got more or less replaced by OxyContin, and you know, now it's meth. And mm -hmm. it's, uh, you know, I, I look at hounds, I look at the, this, this lifestyle that we have as a certainly not a cure but a, a, as a part of the bat you know a, a tool to battle some of this uh some of this bad stuff you know as you pointed out you maybe came out on the other side of a youth filled with coon hunting a little bit better than you would have if you'd gone to all the football games and and, and things like that and i feel the same way about my my own upbringing that uh 
I, uh, I'm glad I had a better outlet for it than some of the, uh, some of my, my friends who are, you know, some of them aren't even with us anymore because of it. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it's it's heartbreaking to see, uh, you try to explain to them, listen, there's another type of escapism. It's called running with hounds and it has nothing to do whatsoever with anything that you, uh, ingest into your system like a foreign substance. Sure. No, you're exactly right. I, you see that, and you just in this really it was before the pandemic. There was another pandemic, and that was in drugs. And I and I is obviously it's also helped sets up the villains in the in in several of the books. Mm-hmm. But the idea is is that you can't. Uh, you're still part of the world. You you as a hunter are still part of the world. You're still caught up in society. And you, yeah, what you hope is that these youths. Uh, they explore something different. They explore the forest and they, they have that appreciation. There is no need for this other type of escapism through, you know, illegal drugs. Is that mm-hmm. where you say, no, you don't, if, if you can understand that. I mean, yeah, and that's what you tried to portray in there. there this is another way. Yes, it can cause the downfall of the innocent around them. Absolutely. But the idea is, is also, it's it, obviously it's harming yourself. Like I tell, I don't, I, I don't even drink beer to be honest with you, and and I don't have any, anything against any of those that don't. But I said, listen, I miss too much when I'm when I have all my senses, <laughs> let alone trying to dull them somehow. So it's like you know, uh, so I don't. I, and again, again, if somebody wants to have a beer, have at it. I'm not going to hold that against them, but sure. I don't do it. And mm-hmm. so that's where that's where you're, you know, what what can you do? Now I had to laugh because you, you, there was uh, something along the lines that I when I was still on Facebook, I saw a a, a meme that said, "Get your children involved in hounds." They'll never have money for drugs if they do. Yeah, yeah, it's like okay, yeah, you're okay. I just I put, just put a thousand dollars down to this dog. That's all I got. So, right. uh, but the idea, <laughs> so, so the idea though is that uh, I think yeah, if we can, uh, uh, yeah, it, the the hunter is part of a, of the, obviously the larger society, yep. and and those problems can wend their way into uh, your life, whether you want it or not. So yeah, it was not something uh, I I thought uh, to myself when I was you know looking you know thinking when I first started the series, well, what's a what's a what's a good villain, and who who better than a villain than you know someone who's who's in the drug industry, yep. uh, illegal drug industry. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's that's. Well, that's how that went. And like I said, there are numerous cases around here, just like you said, where uh, you see these young teens dying, you know, overdoses mm. and that. You just, your heart just breaks. Your heart just breaks for them. It's at all, you know. And, uh, you know, there's so much in life that they did not have a chance to experience because they went down uh, a path that unfortunately ended up being a, a, a bad decision. Right. So, uh, I mean, what. Yeah, I mean, there's always hope, right? That they can they can break out of it. Uh, oh, but sure. Unfortunately, yeah. um, unfortunately, when you read an obituary, that that you know, at that point, it's it's over, obviously. Yeah, it's all too often that there's uh, yeah, that's why they that's why they're gone. Yeah. It's um, but I, I do think that there is real value to um, you know, it, whether it's hounds or something else, uh, being able to go back to what makes a culture. Uh, worth something and, and and showing our youth that there are other you know there are other things that uh you could be doing to you know use yeah, all exactly. if, if you don't like money if you just want to get rid of all your money then i, I can recommend hounds is a very very good way of doing it <laughs> 
<laughs> exactly. Listen, you know, you want me to tie up your funding? We can do that. You know, right. but uh, but it's right. uh, but we'll say, listen, in the end, it's well worth it, and uh, and uh, you'll come out of there. Com- uh, I say completely with your senses. Somebody might argue that, but but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, you'll. <laughs> but uh, but it'll be. You'll uh, still come out red eyed and look pretty pretty raggedy, but it'll be for yeah. good reasons. Yeah, yeah. You, you you come out of the woods at four o'clock in the morning after a long run. Yeah, you're like ah, okay, but yeah, but it's not for uh, it's not for anything that was caused by a drug induced uh, uh, reaction. Yeah, Without a doubt, you're. You you got it out there, but as I say, the the dogs and well, you know, I'm I'm right now and I do get to see uh, or listen to parents and grandparents talk about their children with the dogs and hounds, and that just to me that's just so great. I mean, it was a very young lady. I, I want to say she was nine years old that won the New York State Coonhound Championship last year. Nine really? years old, young that's lady. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And my understanding is she was competing when she went down to the World Hunt. She was competing against another young lady, but I think she was like 14. Uh, but she went down there. Of course, that was that's from across the, the U.S. at that point. But uh, right. but she was competing against another young lady down there. Oh, and wow. then uh, the uh, the young lady who is uh, everybody's young to me, uh, who's got a granddaughter, <laughs> <laughs> the young lady who has a granddaughter uh, with this red bone hound that's, that we were going to put on the front cover. Uh, uh, but she told me that there's this one dog they could, and I, she's going to be on the cover. This the dog is going to be on the cover, and she's absolutely a beautiful hound. But she would not bench show until her nine year old granddaughter got in there, and that dog obeys that child like there's nothing. In fact, the judge seen it, seen the dog again. You know, the dog wouldn't sit still during the uh, bench show, and and, and he, I guess he said to her, "Is this to the, the grandmother?" is this the same dog? <laughs> but here, we, here here you have this nine-year-old who's controlling this dog. And she said she sits perfectly still when that nine-year-old kid talks. And so there, what's that an example of? It's an example of the bond again. It's, and now this, for whatever reason, that hound bonded with that child. And will, you, you and I know, for the rest of its life, that dog will be bonded to that. Even as she grows up, they grow old together. Uh, they will bond and they will have that bond. And so, uh, but I think that's, and when she told me that story, I just, I just met her in person for the first time uh, about a month ago. We had, uh, we had lunch together and she was telling me that story and it, it, it was absolutely delightful to hear. Uh, a, a, a large part of me said, yep, that sounds normal <laughs> because yep, of the right. relationship thing. Yep. Uh, but uh, that's, to me, that's, that's back to what you were saying. Get these kids involved in the outdoors, get them involved with these hounds uh, they're not going to get in trouble, uh, you know, I mean, not in trouble with the police or any of the laws that way. They're right. going to be focusing on, you know, learning the woods, learning their hounds, getting out there in the woods. And that's to me, that's simply uh, so much of a better lifestyle, in my humble opinion, mm-hmm. uh, that that we should be teaching you. So if you're getting the youth involved, absolutely, uh, absolutely support it. I can tell you, again, talking back to the couple of the presidents of the local uh, hunting clubs around here. They do the same thing. They're mm-hmm. always bringing the youth. We have a youth hunt. You, you, I don't think, I think you have to be under 17 to be in it. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, so, so there's the different things that, uh, yeah, yeah. Bring up the youth, bring up this next generation. Uh, so they understand it again. We can, we can talk about the technology aspect of it again and, and how to bring it up, but nonetheless, uh, they're still out there in the woods. They're still out there with the hounds. They're still learning how to take care of it. Mm-hmm. I think too, and even when you, especially when you when you get somebody involved with the daily care of their hounds, 
that serves, that's, that teaches them a lifelong discipline. Okay, oh. I got to go out, water and feed them today. I got to do it every single day and uh, get out there and take care of that dog. Uh, that just teaches them. And I think that's uh, life skills they'll take on and be successful at whatever occupation they end up doing. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's where... Uh, I'm, at, you know, I'm, I'm droning on here, so I'll let you. I'll let you. <laughs> no, this is uh, this. Uh, it's like I. It's like I. You know, people listen to these to listen to my guests. They don't. They don't listen to these to listen to me. If uh, okay, so the, the, the more you talk, the better. The better it is for me. I mean, this is uh, and, and it's good stuff. <laughs> this is um, you know, it's that uh, that particular thing. The um, you know, the the, the youth and you know, recruitment for future generations of, of hounds, men and women is, is, uh, is a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. You know, I have a son that's uh, about to turn nine and a son that's uh, six years old. And, okay. you know, I think a lot of, oh, there you go. think a lot about it, you know, cause we, we do live in a, an area where unless you've got something going on outside, you know, unless you, unless you're part of a sport or a part of some kind of a lifestyle, there's not a whole lot to do here. To be, to be fair, you know, it's, and I see a lot of them and a lot of kids end up hanging out kind of just outside of the gas station. And that's, that's okay. You know, it's not a, it's not, not saying that they're not good kids. It's just that you, you end up, you know, a, a kid with a lot of energy and a lot of potential. It's just like a dog. You know, you put that dog, let that dog get bored for a while. It's going to get destructive. And I think the kids are the same way. You know, you let them get bored. They're going to get destructive. And it's, uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's a fair, uh, assessment. Yeah. And you want to channel that energy. Uh, I used to say when I was, uh, in the military, give me enthusiasm. I can shape enthusiasm. Right. So, uh, you know, if that's where you're same thing here, you know, these kids have this outlet where they're out there. And by the way, you know, like I, said, I was out there with my nephew and you you run across all these different tracks in the snow. You say, what's this? What's this? You know, and, and so uh, and I just, well, that's, you know, this is a squirrel. Oh, there, there's a fisher. Okay. Uh, oh, oh, there's a fox. Oh, there's a coyote. Here's how you tell the difference. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're, you're, you're out there teaching them that. And so they're, they're, yes, they're, the whole thing is to be with the hounds, listen to the hounds, but even on the way to the hound, you're teaching. I had to laugh because uh, at one point my nephew said, uh, Uncle Joe, what's this? And I looked at it. And I said, that, Jake is snow falling from the top of the tree. <laughs> he, he just shook his head. He said, I should, because I just, that's just where snow come down. I just left the track there. I just saw. So he's just, uh, you know, but that's, and he's a good kid, by the way, real good kid. Yeah. Uh, but the idea though, is that, uh, you know, you, you, that's what you're doing. You're out there teaching them. Well, what's this, you know, and, and everything else. Well, that's a possum. You know, how can you tell a possum? Well, you look at it. It does look a little bit like a coon, but you can tell it about pretty, once you start looking at it, you can tell it pretty easy. Uh, and and I you know I you know talking about writing you know we we'd have I'd you'd be writing something about the woods and somebody in the writing group would go ahead and shout shout out some common myth oh that's not true it's like this and said no yeah, right <laughs> no. yeah no let me tell you that's uh you know this is how it happens our, our bears are in woods by in, in December no no yeah, male no, no, a female but, but a boar will be out if you don't get, I mean, so we've had some pretty mild winters in yep. upstate New York and I, I've, I've run across bear tracks in six inches of snow. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's as long as they're warm out, but don't oh, know they're hybrid. No, no, they're, the they're are not. out. Yep. Yeah. 
no, they're, they're out there, but you, but that was, like say, that's the kind of feedback. So you start dispelling some of the myths. And so a lot of times I'm also part of the local, one of the local, one of the local historical societies. And, and one of the things that you, when you're going to wrap in local history into it, of course, you're going to have, you know, 500 people. Oh no, it's like this. So I, what I tell people is if you want to change something in your story away from the, the real or even understood history of something you've got to make it clear that yeah this is what they say but this is what really happened if you want yeah again if you're playing into the fiction part of it mm-hmm. uh so that's that's what you uh, as a writer uh, when you're dealing with the historical aspect of things yeah yeah let them know that yes i know this is supposed to be the story but here's what really happened i'm giving you the inside skinny here right. <laughs> so, even right. if it's even if it's absolutely fictitious right but uh the idea though is you want to go ahead and, and build up uh, you know, build up a little excitement. And that's another thing too. You're talking about the, the land and the stories inside the stories. Well, that, well, what coon hunters don't go out there and tell stories. Most of them do out there. They're telling either a story of another hunt or study of an experience they had, or they're just basically just telling themselves stories about the woods out there. Sure. So that's a that's another thing. That's a very real aspect of, uh, of you could you could argue life in a small town, uh, but also part of you know inherently part of going out there. You read the like I'm reading Del Cameron's book right now, uh, Call the Hounds, mm-hmm. and he's he's re- he, he's just story after story after story. He's he, even uh, I'm just finished up the part where he just went into the south. He, he was up in the northwest in the Rockies. He went down to the southwest to meet all these famous legends of the hounds that, that were old when he was still young, and uh, and I think that's exactly right where. Um, we want to hear the stories. We want to hear what what's going on, uh, and uh, maybe they get embellished a little bit, but that's all part of it. <laughs> so that's right. fine. But the idea, <laughs> though, is that uh, my dad says, it's, my dad says, he says, coon hunters don't lie. He says, but they do exaggerate. So, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so it's okay. <laughs> it's okay, Dad. Uh, but the uh, but the idea, though, is that you know that's that's really part of the culture. Is 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 yes. We talk about something that happened out in the woods, and it, it may, may be something funny, maybe be something serious, something that oops, you know, that's something a tragedy happened sometimes. Somebody accidentally died out there, or dog oh, got sure. killed. Uh, you know, you hear these things, and so, but that's also part of life's lessons, right? So we're going, okay, this is this is what happens, right? So uh, yeah, that's that's where you uh, you uh, you you take into this whole culture of storytelling. Uh, which is just inherently part of being, I think, uh, working with your dogs. You're going to tell Absolutely. stories. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, yeah, even if even if you've been in it for a year, you've already and you've been on you know a dozen hunts, you're going to start telling stories, and that's and that's great. hundred percent. We want to yeah. hear that. It's it's that what makes these podcasts true. so much fun to do. Is I mean, is I I I love a good story, and I love it being told by a good storyteller, and there's something about the culture of hunting and the culture of especially hunting with hounds that I agree. It just breeds these extraordinary storytellers. And, um, yeah. Yeah. We we can never forget our co-authors, right? Those are the hounds themselves. (laughs) (laughs) So that the dogs themselves are telling the story too. So like, okay, what's going on here? So, but that's all part of it. So that's where he's and in the woods and the and the and the yeah, equipment failures that I've, I've already been through that uh, one thing Del Cameron he talks about oh this broke down this broke down <laughs> which sure. what that's part of the story 
<laughs> you know, oh yeah, and that's just that's just how it goes, you know, or you know, just oops, uh, or you forget something and you're just sitting there shaking your head, going, oh well, uh, you know, just different things. Um, one thing I've learned, especially uh, for the, really for the last, even though a lot of times Dad was in the truck, uh, now the last three years I'm just out there by myself. You, mm-hmm. you know, when you're out there by yourself, you, you, you literally start going through a mental checklist to make sure, okay, I got this, I got this, I got this, and I'm going into the woods. And you're, you surprise yourself. Of, you know, when you don't have a second person there, either carrying something that you expect somebody else to carry, you've got to carry it. Uh, so you learn, well, that one, that's self-reliance, right? But you do, again, I go through a mental checklist. And, and then when I'm underneath the tree, I'm literally padding down every every pocket, saying, okay, there's this, there's this, there's this, to make sure I didn't drop anything. Right, yeah. Uh, so that's that's all part of it. So, and I, you know, and uh, I've, I've always, dad dad says that. He, he says that now. He says, you always wanted to get out there by yourself. He says, you always like that. And that's, that's true. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't, don't get me wrong. I like having somebody there with me too. And, we, and you laugh and you'll have some good times, but there's also a lot to be said, just being out there with your hounds, just you and your hounds. hundred uh, yeah. percent. Uh, yeah. I mean, so it's, 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 it's everything it's yes. Is there's the bond with other hunters. There's also the bond with your hounds when you're out there alone. So, I mean, it's uh, yeah. Can you, and can you describe that to somebody who, especially those who have a misperception of what it is to hunt with a hound, you know, that's where you're going, okay, you know, hold on. And, uh, you start backing them up like the, the one gentleman, Oh, the dog does all the work. Here we go again. Um, but, um, uh, like I say, it's to uh, the hounds, uh, anyone who's running a hound, you don't have to explain that to them, but, yeah. um, and you, you, you always get afraid of, there was a, a phrase we use in the military, uh, which, was actually came from some philosopher. I can't remember. It may have been Voltaire, but for those who were there, no explanation is necessary. For those who weren't, no explanation is possible. Well, I, I begin saying, well, we, we need to make that explanation possible. We need to be able to explain who we are because it is a changing world. And we yeah. need to understand that we are, we are part of a larger society. Our image does matter. And, uh, and so we, we want to always, so this is who we really are. We're not going to, we're not going to sugarcoat some things, but at the same time, uh, we're, you know, we do respect the land just as much as any environmentalist sure. out there. We, oh, we want, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. no, I mean, one of, the, one of the things that absolutely just turns my stomach when I'm out there, if I see a, a messy campsite that somebody was there and left the messy caps. And I said, come on, you know, <laughs> you don't need to leave this here. Take it. If you brought it in, take it out, you know, and uh, it's just, it's just that easy. Uh, I, I would tell you another story. I was back in, uh, in the woods and I ran onto a troop of Boy Scouts and uh, I guarantee you, I, well, I gotta be careful here, but uh, I would say that was one of the highlights of that camping trip is to have the, you know, here comes two, I was actually with another coon hunter and we walked in there. And so we're walking in and now they've seen us coming. We had our headlamps on, they've seen us coming from a distance and we've seen their, we could smell their fire, the campfire long before we actually saw it. But uh, by the time we got there and, and they were just, oh, look at these coon hounds and everything like that. So <laughs> here are people who, uh, had an experience with a hound and weren't even coon hunting, so to speak. Right. Uh, but they, you know, they go back to it. You could see though, what, uh, you could see them light up, uh, all these young kids out there and the, and the scout master, uh, Hey, yeah, that's great that you guys are out here like this. And they just liked it. They just liked the idea that somebody was out there in the dark, you know, chasing after a dog. And so I think that's, again, again, you begin to show here's where we are. We're respectful, uh, we're, we're not out here to shoot everything we see. That's absolutely false. 
yeah, well, um, we're out here to, <laughs> yeah, I, I know. It's just like, you just hear some things you're going, Oh, come on. But, um, uh, uh, and that's, that's now, you know, if there's a bad apple out there, then the hunting community needs to police their own. Uh, cause it only takes like, say one bad apple to rank the ruin the bunch, but boy, that's but the, the idea truth. though. Yeah. Is that, yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, but the vast, vast majority of, I mean, vast majority of, I mean, 99 percent 99 plus percent of of the hunters out there are respectful and that they uh, they do it right and uh they care for the land again is just as much as any environmentalist you ever ran into yep so, oh absolutely yeah that's yeah. the uh that's the truth it's uh you know social media is <clears throat> it's it's broadened our horizon so so absurdly i mean it, it's it, and in in very very positive ways but there's a flip side to that and you know it's something that i've talked about before on the podcast and something that i am you know sorry for everybody listening if you're getting tired of me talking about it but i'm going to keep talking about it and that's that's we have (laughs) a response yeah we have a responsibility man to you know we are not we're not the last people we're not the last generation that's going to be able be able to do this you know if if we it's just our turn to do it Right. And if we conduct good, ourselves good like, if we conduct ourselves like bozos and, you know, are putting out these, these, these bloody grip and grins on, on our Instagram and, and Facebook, you know, okay, it's totally allowed to do that. And I can, somebody sends me a private message for something like that. I'm going to celebrate their success with them. Sure. But right. we, you know, when, when they come after us, they're going to use our pictures that's going to be the ammunition they need to shoot us you know that's going to be the ammunition they need to execute us yeah there's there's actually uh etiquette uh it is i can't remember what organization put it out it's a hunting organization about what they say listen if you're if you're going to show your your harvest you show it respectfully and you show it this way and uh and and that's just you should be doing that if nobody's watching you know uh but if but definitely if you're taking pictures uh, you need to show that, listen, we respect what we take and we're going to use what we've taken and, uh, and press on from there. I mean, sure. but uh, do not, yeah, but, uh, but, uh, but yeah, you will get some folks, uh, you, what you find is a lot of times are the young hunters and they were excited and they took a picture that, okay, uh, you know, like a deer or something like that, but the tongue is hanging out. Well, okay, <laughs> let's fix that. Right. Uh, so yeah, exactly. There is a, um, a larger perception uh that you do not want to taint uh just through a you know the excitement of the moment if you will and uh yeah. no I'm, I'm with you you're right you can you'll you have people use anything you know, with the social media and the way things spread like fire on it uh yeah even a well even if you mistyped something you know i didn't mean it that way or you know right. well, you know and i i and that's not what I meant, yeah, but that's but they ran with it, didn't they? And so that's where you, you know, you got to be careful on that too. So yeah, because you so took I'm, a break am, from. You, you've taken a break from Facebook. You're you don't have a Facebook page oh, yeah. for your books or anything, I, I, anything I, like that. At this no, point. I was. Uh, no, I and I I did because uh, they actually froze my account. I don't know why. In their defense, uh, all I can tell you, I was showing pictures of trees in the fall that's <laughs> what it happened and they how, said yeah we froze your account how could you joe 
How could you? No, uh, yeah. How could you? How could you show those brilliant colors of fall? And uh, what were you thinking when you did that? Um, right. So I could have pursued it, but I said it was. It seemed so random to me that I said, and I'm just one person. I'm not like a company. I say, hey, you know, tell the HR folks or whoever to figure that one out. Uh, I'm just like, I don't have time for this. And, uh, <laughs> to be honest with you, to be honest with you, it's it is it, in terms of my writing, uh, it it. it freed up so much time now i'm putting out a newsletter now right but but uh mm-hmm. but that's a labor of love as far as i'm concerned it's still writing uh but it, it comes down to it is i freed up so much more time to uh you know not worrying about well okay i gotta find a post or something like that uh because you, they tell you really to keep a viable professional web page you need to be doing at least one post a day or at least you know why not well, i shouldn't one post a day ideally one post a day maybe two posts a day but definitely three a week uh, to keep it a viable. Well, that's work. I mean, you start, okay, you're out there, you're taking pictures, always got to have a picture. And so when I uh, left social media for, again, I don't know why they did what they did. It might've been an absolutely, it could have been an administrative glitch for all I know, but I didn't care. Right. Uh, maybe I was just looking for an excuse, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I was just saying, you know what? I needed a time away. I want to write book five. I just need to be free to do that. I was helping other writers at the time over last summer. So I didn't, that the story kept percolating in my head, just running through. So when I finally did sit down and run it, it was like unkinking a garden hose. I mean, <laughs> right. those words just poured right now. Uh, but the, uh, but uh, the be free from it. And that's really what we go back to what you said earlier uh, with the youth, you know, you don't want them hanging around the gas station. You want them, you know, and that's the same thing with social media. If they're hung up here and you hear about these kids who get bullied on the internet, you know, they're getting bullied across that. And that's not acceptable either, by the way. And oh, just no because way. you're doing it, at just, you know, you're, you're still hurting that kid's you know, psyche when you're doing that. So I understand that too. Um, uh, as you, as you were in one of the, one of the, you know, we, we, uh, in the series dealt not only with some of the issues of the illicit drug drag, but also there was a character that was bullied yep. in book three. Yeah. She, she came, she came, she came, full circle on that but uh but you know but that was another reality that you see that uh you know know, kids kids unfortunately can be cruel but i think again uh when you're out there uh with the hound hound's never going to judge you uh i don't know about that (laughs) (laughs) i know that you want to get a funny one more funny story with seth um he had treat we had chased this ghost coon uh, I think, to be honest with you, I think we created this ghost coon because the training season up here is so long now in upstate New York. They didn't have it when I was there. But those raccoon get smart. I mean, they, after a while, they said, okay, uh, I know how to run this. In fact, I think there are a lot of reasons why Seth started going silent. He used to open right from the beginning and sing the whole way. He started going silent on me. And I think the reason why he did that, he realized, you know, if I'm, you know, if I go in silent, I'll catch this raccoon. And he did. But uh, one time, uh, we did not get the raccoon this night, but uh, it was a great big oak, and it crossed over into this hemlock. And I saw this dark spot. I said, is that the raccoon? So I said, I think maybe that's it. Maybe he crossed over, and there he is right there. Well, it turned out it was just a dark spot. But I <laughs> shot at it a couple times. And, uh, and Seth just stopped and looked at me. And he, and, he, and he looked up at the tree where I was shooting, he looked up the tree where he was tree, and then he looked back at me like, "Don't you get it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> You're on the wrong tree, man." And you're thinking, "How can that dog know 
where that shot was going, right? But again, how can they how can they treat a raccoon after being sprayed by a skunk? Oh, uh, but that dog knew. That dog knew I was there. so like you say, well, yeah, when the dog doesn't judge you. I think I got judged that night. He was like, dude, over here. Oh boy. <laughs> it's happening. Oh, you should have seen his look. There's nothing oh, there's nothing look. more soul withering than a look of disgust from your hound. It's just like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I better recant that because I, I, I said, well, maybe you do get judged a little bit out there when you do something. You, when you yeah. do a bonehead move, it's like, come on. So, yeah, he, but he, I mean, I just never forget him looking. He just he literally went from that tree to that tree and look at me and go, like, what are you doing? Uh, okay, good point. Or, you know, my, what my dad would say, and this is true, this is why you don't shine a tree before the dog trees. He says, the dog will think you know something more than he does. And then you, you've, I've seen people shine a tree and then the dog will start treeing on it. It's not that he just thinks you know where the raccoon is and you don't. And I will tell you one other funny story with Seth. Uh, he did, again, this is just, as I tell people, it is pain to post after all. Uh, he, he, I watched him. Uh, this is up there. This is in season. And this is when the boars are running. So you get some pretty long runs uh, as, as the boars go from den tree to den tree um, to find the females, find the sows. And so I, where I treed, I could see him or he treated, I should say, I could see him barking. So I, I just let him bark and I did not turn on the light. And he was a great big old maple. And in fact, the female was likely inside it because I couldn't see her on the outside. But as soon as my light hit the tree, he waited for the light. He left the tree and he ran right by me going like, you know, felt like 30 miles an hour. Like the, like the raccoon had run by me. And I'm going, what is he doing? Mm-hmm. And what it was is he knew that the boar had left. And so he says, okay, you got this one. I'm going on to treat the other one. And he did. And we got oh, wow. that one. It was a huge, oh, he has a huge raccoon. And, uh, but he knew, he, he was waiting for me. He's like, come on, dude, shine those lights out there. We got another one to run. And he just, I mean, he just ran by me, didn't stop to, 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 to even recognize me, but he, he passed within six inches of me. Right. It's like, what the, you know, and, uh, and then he treed 300 yards away. 300 yards away, wow. he went and treated that other raccoon. Yeah, and he had him too. And uh, no, that was a huge, and I said that was a huge raccoon. In fact, that, that was the largest one we took that season. Um, Is that right? But uh, yeah, yeah. He, so I'd say you get these different experiences out there and you just sit there and shake your head. Uh, one thing I, I tell people, one thing about owning Seth is it makes the right stories pretty easy. Uh, but that's really any dog. I mean, it's just you're going to write, you're going to write stories and, and something's going to happen. I don't care if it's a, whatever dog it is, a squirrel dog, anything, you're going to, you're going to end up with stories. And again, we're back it. to the, you're going to end up with stories and you're going to tell them. And that's what people, uh, I think that's what people like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, I, I hope you keep getting a bunch of stories and I hope you keep putting them in book form because boy, I'm enjoying I'm enjoying them. I can't wait for your. Uh, I can't wait for your next one to come out. I'm uh, really. Looking it should to be that. out. Yeah, I, right now looking into my crystal ball. Uh, I'm due to my copy editor, July fifteenth. She takes two weeks with each book, and uh, so in theory, I would have it back to me in August, and then we begin. My self-publishing company has picked up a new business model and basically it's all do it yourself now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't, you're not facilitated. So we'll see. It could, it means that the publishing process could go faster. It could mean it go slower. Right. I'm in a, kind of a, kind of in a new territory here, but I'm hoping at this point 
that uh, it will be available in late September is what I'm hoping. I've had a lot of fun writing this one, a lot of research on this one. This one focuses a lot on the woodsmanship of uh, the woodcraft, wood lore right. uh, aspect of being out there. Uh, of course, again, it's still you're still chasing raccoon. There's still a dog involved in the whole nine yards. Uh, but it, it brings that into uh, full for- focus as a young teenage Uncle Arthur, before he was an uncle, uh, begins learning this is what it really means to be out in the woods. Sure. And so uh, it's been a lot of fun. I, I, I must admit, I had a lot of fun writing this one. Uh, I went, had so much fun. It had 115,000 words. Ouch. But we'll see. Wow. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's, that's when you know you're, that's when I said we unkinked that garden hose. Now, odds are, uh, by time I get done uh, editing it, it'll be closer to 100,000, but uh, but that'll still be the longest of the books. It'll still, the prequel will end up being the longest of them. Oh, excellent. And, um, so it and it, it it deals with some social issues again and some uh, it, it this one because uh, it's a prequel uh the book begins in 1962 and uh, goes to 1962 1963 so uh oh, so wow, I had man. to I had to do a lot of this now now you're before I was born so now I'm going okay uh you know and I would have to check with dad on a couple of things dad did they have this back then he'd laugh at me and said yes we had that <laughs> so, okay. so I just and you, you know, you do your Google searches, but you got to go to Dad. You got to say, okay, Dad, what does you know? Did, did, this, did they have this kind of technology back then, or not, or what? Right. So just a lot of different things. Uh, and of course, being part of the uh, historical society allowed me to um, have access to a lot of a lot of old texts that I, I got to go ahead and review too. So there's a lot of work, uh, especially when I'm finding, especially when you're you're. Um, doing in a historical era before you could remember so it's like okay but um yeah that's it's been a lot of fun writing the forest ghost without a doubt that's uh that's excellent i think that's those are the best books when i the author is driven by something whether it's a sense of a sense of fun or a sense of urgency or you know it it they they it tends to translate into the writing i think in ways well, i hope I, so yeah you you well, well said. Yeah, if, if, yeah. If, if the author's not enthusiastic about his or her writing, you can imagine the reader's not going to be either. So, yeah, you got to be excited about what you're writing in a topic. And I would tell you of the, I've known quite a few local writers and uh, and met some uh, national bestseller writers, and they they all show the same thing. They they're right. They're very passionate about what they want. They want to write what they know. Uh, if they don't know a specific thing, they got to do the research, but the idea is that they're, they, there's a certain, again, you said a sense of urgency that they, oh, let's, let's get this written down on paper. Doesn't mean you won't hit writer's block. You will. Uh, uh, but at the same time, uh, in fact, uh, in my next issue of the newsletter, I have a guest writer uh, writing an article on nonlinear writing, which mm. means you don't write from chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. You, you write chapter 20 if that's what's in your mind at the moment, you know, so you, uh, uh, you, you bounce around, but it, believe it or not, it works. It, uh, if you're stuck on one part, go to the part where you, where you know what you want to happen. Sure. Uh, so we, we, we talk about that. So yeah, we're, we're, uh, that newsletter covers, uh, cause I have quite a few, uh, non hunting folks on that newsletter, but they're writers. Mm-hmm. And so they want to, they want to hear about the writing aspect of it. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's a great, that's part of great newsletter. Too. Yeah. It's a great one. Oh, thank I've enjoyed thank it a lot. Well, Joe, we're up to about an hour and a half here. I could uh, I could easily spend wow. another hour and a half talking to you, but um, I think maybe <laughs> uh, round two after your book comes out Wait. might be uh, might be hey, worth that- doing. 
I think that's a great idea. We'll 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 set that up and uh, and get that book out there, and we can we can talk about that. That sounds awesome. Well, I appreciate it so much that you took the time to come on uh, come on the podcast, and um, I'm really looking forward to the book, and really looking forward to touching base with you again. All right, sir. All right. Well, we'll we'll talk relatively soon. Sounds great, Joe. Thank you so much. All right. Enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, that was Joseph Krantz. who wrote the uh, Ryland Creek Sagas. It's a series of four books, soon to be five books. I enjoyed that podcast an awful lot. He was a really interesting guy, a great storyteller. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, uh, we touched on a bunch of different things. I hope you guys enjoyed it, and I just want to say thanks to uh, thanks to Joseph for coming on, and thanks to W for uh, W Hunting Supply for letting me do this because this is uh, this is just too much fun. It should be illegal. Man, I love that sound. <laughs>